0: It's a little more fluid for me between what are big changes and what are small changes. Because even things that are what will be in the greater context of your life feel like small changes can feel big at the time. But also I think that we can be in the right mindset to approach big changes as if they're small because it's just the right moment for them.
1: I'm Brian Kramer, I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast focused on small shifts that can make epic differences in our lives and at work. I'm so excited to introduce our guest, who's someone I've admired and met both in person and know online, uh, and I'm so honored to have on the show. Her name's Kate O'Neill. She's known as the Tech Humanist. She's founder of KO Insights and a strategic advisory firm committed to improving human experience at scale. I love all the humans. Uh, this still resonates with me and exactly why I wanted to have her on here. Um, she's uh, especially focused in de- uh, data-driven, algorithmically optimized, say that 10 times, and AI-led in- interactions. Kate's regularly... Uh, she's a regular on keynotes in- at industry events advocating for humanity's role in an increasingly tech-driven future. Again, we have so much to talk about there. And her world-leading clients have included these little small companies like Google and Adobe and IBM and Yale University, the city of Amsterdam. Oh, I love that city. And the United Nations, um, they're all united and they are representing all kinds of nations. Um, Kate's prior role is this little company called Netflix. She was the first 100 employees. Holy moly. I bet you have some stories there. Um, and I'm a shareholder. Glad to say. Love that company. Um, she uh, has done some incredible stuff at Toshiba in developing the world's first intranet. Leading cutting edge experience optimization for magazines.com and founding MetaMarketer, a first of its kind digital strategy analytics and experience optimization agency. Holy moly, and author of four books, including her latest, Tech Humanist. And in 2020, this is my kind of one of my favorites because I just am an absolute love with the thinkers, all the thinkers stuff. She is named to the Thinkers 50, which radar, which is huge. And she's a global ranking of top management thinkers. So now she doesn't have to listen to herself about herself. And she can actually say, hey, so thank you so much, Kate, for being here. I'm so excited to have you here for all kinds of reasons. Um, thank you. Appreciate you.
0: I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always so weird to listen to your bio
1: be read. (laughs) I know. I know. And I make people do it because how often do they get a chance to be like rewarded for everything that they've done? And I just think it's so cool, especially when I read about like everything that you've done. It's like... What's left? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think it's also, it's great to hear someone read it in a context like this because you hear what they emphasize. And so it gives you these yeah. little clues like, oh, we should talk about that. Oh, we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Like these are great little like pins you can stick in the in the bio for like, let's circle back to that in the conversation. Yeah.
1: It's like Christmas morning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you're right. It's like all those mentions of human. I, that, I think that's why you and I have been... Yeah circling each other in our social networks and everything for so long is that, you know, we both are drawn to this human-centric way of thinking about, yeah. you know, the world and technology and business and life, you know, everything. So it, it's it's cool to finally get to sit down and really dig into that.
1: I know, I know. And I kind of wanted to start there, um, given that that's a cross-section for the two of us and just find out from you hear where that came up for you. Like where did the human I know it's human data and human with technology and human of all things. And for me it might be something different. I wanted to see where it was for you.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I am very curious to hear where that human orientation came from for you. But I think for me it's just been this kind of lifelong fascination with people. You know, like people watching and and always kind of trying to figure out people's stories and uh, and also being obs- obsessed with really like literature and movies and like the stories we tell about each other and about the human condition. Uh, and also, you know, I, I grew up really fascinated with languages and I was a linguist by education. So I, my major was German. My uh, undergrad, uh, I had a double minor in Russian and linguistics. My uh, master's work is in linguistics and language development. So really, really fascinated with language. And then that's, of course, about the way, you know, we communicate with one another. And then what I figured out over time is I think that there's this common theme of really being sort of driven by understanding what is meaningful, like what, what meaning is and, and how humans like create meaning and how we sense meaning and what do we, what do, we do about meaning? Like how, how does that drive what we do in the world? And so that is very much what has grounded my work in the last few years is, is really this orientation to human meaning. And like why, why we think about meaning and why is that this kind of unique attribute of humans as opposed to non-human animals and as opposed to machines. And I think that's, that's going to keep me going for a while, I think, you know, so what's next is like, I'm just going to stay focused on, on, you know, how human meaning kind of orients everything that humanity is about. But what about Have you? you? I'm, I'm really curious to to hear your answer to that. Like what, what what started your orientation toward humanity when when you really it's such a big word and a big concept. Yeah. So how did that happen for you?
1: I know, I know. It's um it started um well, I've always been fascinated and I've always been a people person. And so I love talking with people. It's uh it's it that it's always started with like engagement and and I've just, uh, I think just like same with you, when I get into a conversation with somebody, hearing their perspective on the same topic, uh, when you hear a topic with one person and then you go to the next person, you hear the same topic, but you hear it in their context.
0: <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and it's funny because you hear, um, you hear this, the same topic, but you hear it from two different contexts and it can be explained so radically differently, or maybe even sometimes the same. But, but then all of a sudden someone says, well, I don't have a story to tell. And you hear them tell it and you're like, that was <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. Uh, you have a story to tell. Like that was just incredible. And, and that to me is fascinating that, that everybody in their humanness is so radically different. And we all do have our own context and our own story to tell, like their own meaning, like what you're talking about. Yeah. So that's one. That's the first thing. And then the second is, um, is just that whole concept in my own kind of thinking around human to human and how that changed when social media came on the scene and how companies couldn't just talk one way and how right. you know that changed radically for humanity and for everything, for products and services and all that. And I just love that. I just think that... That that changed everything, and now that AI and augmented reality and artificial intelligence and technology and all that, and how that's going to show up in humanity, is just also just like it boggles my mind to see where humans are going to be uh, and show up with like human moments, um, and where yeah. we're going to where we're going to be placed, and where we're going to place ourselves in the future. Where, what do you think about all that? What's your what's your kind of mindset around that?
0: Well, you know, it just struck me when you were saying you use the term show up in these human moments. And and I realized that when you said it, it was the first time it really sunk in that when we say the word human in that context, when we say it as human moments, what we mean is real. Like we mean it as, I mean, obviously people talk a lot about authenticity and realness and so on, but to use the word human as a synonym for that, is a real kind of tell about what we mean ab- about what we value about humanity, and so yeah. So I think that does kind of speak to your what you said about human to human, and the you know companies having to present themselves as human and social media and things like that. Like the 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 emphasis on the uh, importance of how humans connect with one another as opposed to you know the all empowered all powerful company as the entity that that houses all of the authority and all of the the um the, the currency of that interaction so i think that's a that's a really an important observation and or or you know like you made that observation and and it was just connecting with me as i was hearing you say it and then when you mentioned about augmented reality and and so on like augmented reality is the technology that most excites me out of all of the emerging technologies and it is entirely because i see it as a technology that brings about contextual meaning right like everything about every every use case i've seen of augmented reality thus far is primarily focused on sort of showing just in time meaning layers of meaning right like think about it's use in like wayfinding if you're navigating an unfamiliar city and you have your phone in front of you uh, and it's showing you like this the street in front of you you'll say so you, maybe you're seeing through your phone with the camera to like so you, you're not going to walk into somebody but it's also on the phone screen like layering in kind of useful tidbits about like if you were to turn here you could go to this pharmacy or if you were to go there you can go to the starbucks or whatever also here's a little bit of history this building was built in 1804 or whatever it feels like what's what's happening in that kind of a, a use case is that you're being given just just enough relevant hooks to make your experience as you walk through that city a little more contextually relevant a little more significant a little more um, a little more intentional and, and all of those are attributes of meaning. So I, I think that's, that's what's so exciting to me about augmented reality. Um, it hasn't achieved it yet. <laughs> I, mean, I think we're, I think we still are on this precipice of like AR could be so cool <laughs> and it's not there yet, but I think it will. And I think it's, it's the technology that really kind of sends the, the tingles on the back of my neck about like what the future could be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, they keep teasing it about Apple, saying they're the next the next one to bring it out, and as a yeah. you know that that that's that's coming and it's coming sooner than <laughs> and hopefully later. Um,
0: yeah, I mean it's a big move. I think putting lidar in, all, in in the phone, the last generation of phones. I think you know they yeah. uh, Apple has shown a real commitment to right. you know kind of ha- housing the infrastructure for for the next generation of AR, and yeah. of course you know Google has too. Like a lot a lot of companies have made a lot of strategic investments infrastructurally, developmentally, et cetera, you know, toward um, p- putting, I, I think it's just, they have to build the ecosystem first. It's kind of like when you think about like electric cars, right? Like the, the power and potential of electric cars is enormous, but you first, you have to have the grid, right? You have to have the system yeah. that can support it. Otherwise it's just like an electric car is a really, cool toy that peters out on you after a few hours of driving and now you can't charge it up and there's nowhere to go and nothing to do and i think it's the same idea with augmented reality and a lot of technologies like it's cool for a minute until you realize you've just exhausted the entirety of what can be done with it. And now you need a lot more infrastructure to be able to connect all of the data points and all of the uh, you know, underlying uh, metadata sources and so on that, that can make things meaningful. Mm. So we, we just have to, I think we need another generation or two of development to get there. But then it will be cool. <laughs> it <Yeah>. really will.
1: <laughs> yeah, what a great, um, that's a, such a great point. Yeah, because I read that they're not going to be putting cameras on, which I agree with at, at the beginning, and also at the same time I was kind of looking forward to. But from a security standpoint, I, I agree with. Uh, from a from a uh, Brian can't remember people's names. I was hoping for um, <laughs> because I wanted <laughs> to see someone and go because I'm really bad with names, and and I just want to like. Her name is Kate, like from the glasses, and you're like, "Hey, Kate, happy birthday!" <laughs> I, I like the,
0: the vision of the future that you have in mind. It's like this very like English butler living in your yeah. ears, sort of thing. <laughs> like a very gentle voice that just says. Her name is Kate, and today is her birthday. I'm like I like that. That's, that's a really beautiful vision. Like it's my friend.
1: It's from not quite the her movie. No, right. I don't. I don't want that. I just want. I want my. I want to whisper in the, in the ear and, and it's, a, and yes, definitely. Maybe even Sean Connery, if, if, if you want to go there. But.
0: <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think these, these are, all of those kinds of things are always so fascinating to me. And I think the flip side of it is I spend a lot of time, of course, thinking about the risks and harms that come right. with those kinds of things. And that of course is why, you know, those kinds of technologies need to be, you know, there need to be guardrails around them. Um, but i i think that the important work is to recognize the full possibility like the the harms and risks yes but also the wonderful delight and experience that can happen from the little english butler uh, whispering in brian's ear about you know who this is and what's relevant about you know this interaction today and and as long as we can do that as long as we can build that entire set of, of potential, like aware of, of what the risks and the harms are and mitigating those, but building toward the best outcomes possible. I, I think, you know, we, we can do a lot with, with what we've got in front of us.
1: Oh man. Well, I can't wait. And it's still, you know, it's <laughs> coming soon, but I can't wait. Um, I, you know, one of the things I I'm going to take a, a bit of a detour here and I want to dive in on you and um, a little more of, around the topic of shifts. And talk about what one thing was in your life that was small, that felt small or was small at the time. Um, and, but it ended up being a big shift for you in your life.
0: I, I feel like a lot of things, in a way, have been that way. You know, moving from one job to another, moving from, I mean, th- these aren't, I guess, in some ways small, uh, but in the greater context of my overall life in the 47 years I've been on this planet, I, it feels like. Oh, each of them is kind of small to talk about. Like moving from, I grew up in the Chicagoland area. And when I first had uh, the job offer from Toshiba in San Jose, um, it was a big move. But now years and years later, it feels small because there's so many other moves that have happened. And I think that's the spirit in which I view a lot of those kinds of shifts and moves is like, there's kind of this spectrum or the there's a, it's a little more fluid for me between what are big changes and what are small changes because even things that are what will be in the greater context of your life feel like small changes can feel big at the time uh but also i think that we can be in the right mindset to approach big changes as if they're small because it's just the right moment for them you know we we're like we're in the right headspace to tackle this thing and take the risk. And, and so, yeah, I feel like I've had a lot of those kinds of things throughout my, my job changes, my uh, moving from city to city, um, you know, a, a lot of that kind of stuff. And, and it feels like it, even, even now, even within the last you know, decade of my work, making shifts from my focus is going to be on, you know, this kind of area of technology or something, or it's going to be to now it's going to be on this area of technology. I, you know, like, like my second-to-last book was called Pixels in Place, and then, of course, as you mentioned, tech humanist. Pixels in Place was so much more about the integrated physical and digital experiences, and I, I thought that that was a really big investment. I was I was thinking a lot about Internet of Things, and you know, the the kinds of things we've already been talking about in this discussion so far. And it felt like there was going to be a, l- a lot of years ahead of me of spending my time exploring that and consulting on that. And what ended up happening was that the more I talked about that, the more I just found myself talking about the humanity of these experiences and needing to move in this tech humanist direction, like needing to talk about this intersection between technology and business and humanity and why we need to reconcile that three-piece relationship and, and really make sure it's good. So it was not even an intentional move or shift or whatever. It was just, it was like a, a, a just in the moment recognition that, okay, I, I kind of have to pursue this, this direction. So I don't know if that's really an answer to the question that you posed in the way that you posed it, but I feel like there's, there is this kind of more loose framework in the way that I, I feel like I've lived my life. That's kind of open to change and open to, um, what the opportunity is that's in front of me, Um, you know, not always as open, you know, every day as the next, but, um, but, but that, that openness to change, I think has been wildly successful for me in the sense that I've been able to explore a lot of different topics, a lot of different places, uh, relationships with a lot of different people in different ways. And, and that has really informed a pretty wide worldview That um, that I think is really humanistic, and that I think that's why this works for me now is to be able to draw from all these different experiences and different uh, interactions with people in in a really genuine way, where I'm really motivated by what moves people.
1: What what, so I'm curious when you um, have made your decisions in those shifts. Now looking back, um, what drove you to make them like what did you have a decisioning was it gut was it intuitiveness was it was it um creativity was it just uh uh, was it a a process that you typically go through what is it for you that drives your process of, of making a shift
0: you know, I think that it's a it's a mix of things there too. You're never going to get a straight answer out of me on any of this stuff because it's cause for me. It feels like everything is very. No, connected. I love it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm tracking you. I'm tracking you.
0: Okay, great. I, you know, for for a lot of it, it feels um, like, for example, I, I've been an analyst. I've spent a lot of time in data throughout my career, and yet I am um, like on the Myers Briggs. I'm an ENFP. That's about as touchy feely as you get. And
1: you and I are the same.
0: Are we? Okay. That's, yes. that makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's not as if you can't make sense of data, right? It's not as if you can't be analytical. And I think those are just skills that you either have or you acquire. And they're not the same as what your sort of inner personality is, or, you know, how you're wired. And so I think I, I can thrive in an environment where I have to use data and be analytical. Um, but I'm being driven from a very like emotional, intuitive. Feeling kind of place. That that said, I think so, so. All of those decisions about moving from job to job or city to city or whatever have been approached with kind of a both and mindset. And both and is a really important framework in my life. Um, I'm I'm bisexual. That's something that I didn't know, didn't realize, didn't have the vocabulary for until and it's actually kind of a funny story. It was my very first day on my college campus, and I was making a tour through it was like the because it was the first day they had all the, like, the student groups had tables set up with their different you know um, sign up sheets and everything and so there was the gay lesbian bisexual transgender like student alliance or whatever and it was the first time literally uh, the first time I'd ever seen the word bisexual like and, and that probably dates me because you know <laughs> but I already told you I'm 47 years old like and this is in 1991 uh, one, I guess and I had not I just in the the lifestyle I had lived, I, I had encountered plenty of gay and lesbian people and the terminology, but just not the word bisexual. But it's a word that's very easy to parse, right? Like if you if you're at all kind of familiar with word parts, like bi as to and sexual, like that explains itself, and so it made sense immediately. And I, I like knew instantly that I was bisexual because it explained so much, um, and and I think. What happened with me right then was that I also, I learned to appreciate the importance of words too. Like I had always, as I mentioned, I was already into into languages, but that moment of of being able to like have a word that could at 17 or whatever I was back explain so much of my life and then be able to give me this kind of immediate orientation, literally forward that could say, um, oh, this makes sense now, the world makes sense, looking forward from this kind of pivot point, uh, it also made me think like, wow, the power of the right word, the power of a word that can give you a framework that can allow you to like, to just make sense of the world around you so much more clearly. And so that ha- has meant this. the both and construct is very personal to me because when I look at the world and, and I think like, as a young person, I was never taught that you could have this and that you could be attracted to this and that that you could integrate the mindset of like, this is true and that is true. Um, and, and we're taught so much to be exclusionary about, you know, the options that are available in the world and, and the, the, the ways of thinking about choices and strategies and so on. And even in, in business decisions, I feel like that's a mistake there are so many times where it's so much more beneficial to be able to say this a little bit of this is true and also a little bit of this is true and we have to figure out you know not necessarily why both of those things are true or or or, or what but but how we go forward in an operational way with both of those things being true like we have to find the integration that that works around those things because if you deny one or other of those realities you're going to limit your your health and your your function. I mean, I'm saying this across like a wide range of truths, right? Like on a, on a very personal level and on a, a business and sort of strategy level. So I think that 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 way of thinking about the world, about um, how I approach change, how I approach opportunities, and so on, it comes from a very both and place. I look at at uh, what does what do my What does the data tell me? What do um, what do the numbers show? Like, what do facts seem to suggest? And also, what is my intuition telling me about this? So, yeah, it's it's a very kind of holistic, all inclusive sort of way of of making decisions and and navigating the world. And and it it almost directly comes from that moment at seventeen years old on that college campus where everything just clicked into place. And again, like. I think that the clarifying power of a word or of a mental framework to be able to say, um, and, and, and you have it too with, with this, you know, shift idea, right? Like the idea that, that things, uh, can that you can make small decisions that lead to big change. That's an enormous insight into, into living. So I, I think we, ha- we have to just be very receptive to, um, the moments that are, that we, Exist in and what they have to teach us, and that can be an incredible power, incredibly powerful tool for a living. I think.
1: You know what I love about all of that is um, it's almost like uh, it's that whole yes, yes, and as yeah. well, <laughs> right? Um, yeah,
0: I, I hope that your uh, your listeners are familiar with that. But yeah, the yes and sort of at um, uh, improv approach to life of saying uh, you know, you hand me an idea and I say, yes. And, and I build on that idea. I mean, right. I think, I think that's powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, um, the, the, um, the fat, so the, the whole thing around, um, taking in what, um, what actually, uh, it, it kind of comes up for me is how your, uh, ability to, See both sides, um, both sides of uh, of of fact and and and, and intu- intuition. Um, which one uh, tends to win out? Is that even a possibility?
0: I, I, you know, what I think is the the best case scenario is where they're telling you the same story. Um, right, that, That's what you're really hoping for in, in a clinch. Uh, I, I remember I was at magazines.com and heading up customer experience and product development. And, and I got the chance to help lead the company through a, a brand overhaul. And so in order to do that, I was leading a lot of internal research and investigation into you know, what our values were and you know what, what our direction had been and, and sort of operationally where we could really exceed uh, excel and, and succeed. Uh, and we had consultants working with us who were looking at it more externally and bringing in, you know, third-party data and so on. And what was amazing was when they, the two consultants who were external, and I sat down to compare notes. We had arrived at almost exactly the same place. And and that's just such a powerful feeling to to know that uh, you've you've you haven't deceived yourself. You've come at it from two very different approaches, and those approaches align. In a in a completely symmetrical way, and you can go forward with complete confidence, knowing that you've made, if if it's not one hundred percent the right decision, you've made the absolute best decision that could be made with the available facts and and insights. So yeah. that's what I I always look for. You know, my my business is called Ko Insights. You know, so much of my work is is about trying to, you know, draw insights from what's available, and and usually that is a a combination of. You know, really studying up on the facts and the research that's available, what, what, what academics are, are putting into the world. Um, but also really trying to make sense of my own intuitions about if you see sort of a trajectory happening in culture, you know, what, what are the trends that are, that are, that seem to be happening? What, what do people talk about a little bit more now than they did five years ago? You know, and, and that, that's really just, uh, trusting your own sense of being able to connect dots and, and see patterns
1: it Kate, it's so interesting because i'm like you're talking and you're spinning up so many different questions in my head about <laughs> um but i'm like okay got to hold on that one got to hold on that one got to hold on that one cuz it, it will take us down so many different avenues um and and Brian, like, i know you and i had like a 7 hour
0: conversation and
1: yeah cuz I'm, <laughs> like, I'm like oh my god i'm holding back um which which i i but I do kind of want to, um, I, I kind of want to close this out a little bit on 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 one question about the 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 same train of thought around the the shifts, but maybe something that was a little more of a Kilimanjaro um, in your life that maybe uh, was maybe seemed insurmountable at the time, and it was a big mountain to climb, and you climbed it, and you didn't realize or know that you could do it. You did it, and you made it through and it did take a lot of little shifts to get to the top um what was that like
0: yeah you know one one very clear example that comes to mind is um uh i lost my husband in my thirties. So, so I lost my father and my husband in my thirties. So the thirties were a decade of intense grief and loss. Um, they also incidentally, were a decade of a lot of growth and a lot of opportunity and, um, a lot of connection with friends and joy and, you know, the sense that, that there is intense meaning and hope to be, to be had. Um, but it was, it was a very both and, you know, sort of dualistic experience as you might expect from me. Like (laughs) at this point, like, it's not a surprise to hear that in my story, but yeah. Um, the, the moment when, uh, my, my father died from suicide, I'm sorry, the, the other way around, my father died from cancer my husband died from suicide. And, and those obviously are two very different death sort of timelines. And, and one thing that was, you know, sort of instructive was that my, when my father died over this long, slow process, it was, it was like pre-death, pre-death, pre-grieving, you know, you, you sort of, if you've been through this process or anyone who's listening has been through this process, you know, that you know, you, you have this period, you don't know how long it's going to be, but you kind of have the sense that this is going to draw out for a while. And so you kind of have to like settle in for the long haul and sort of keep readjusting your expectations and, you know, you're, you're, you're calibrating your energy and, you know, all of that. It's, it's a really exhausting and, and intensive experience. And then by contrast, seven years later, when my husband died by suicide, it's instant. It's sudden. Everything happened at once. And, and uh, when I, I found him and when, when that, I mean, it was immediate in my head, like, oh, that's done. Like there's no processing. I mean, of course there's a lot of processing emotionally and everything, but not in terms of the, the reality or the decision of like, where is my head at? You know, what, what is, how do I have to, um, come to terms with the, the reality of this? It's just like, that is the reality um, so, so that was a very, I, I think that was a very instructive, like I said, an interesting set of experiences to, to have in, in that order, in a sense. And I found myself actually being grateful after my husband died that my, that my father had died in the way that he had years before. Not, of course, not grateful that he had died or that he had died from cancer, but that if those things had to happen in 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 life at all and in my life relative to theirs that they happened in the timing and the order that they did so that i could learn the things that i had to learn to prepare myself to be ready for uh, as ready as one could be for um when uh, my husband died so it was a, a a really really of course emotionally challenging and um uh, debilitating on one hand, on in one sense, kind of experience. And yet, uh, I, like I said, I was very grateful for many of the things that were happening. And I, I think what the shift was for me or what, you know, kind of the surmounting of what seemed insurmountable was in finding the the opportunities for gratitude and saying, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that my friends showed up and that they really surrounded me. And, and, you know, made sure that I was taken care of, made sure that I had food and made sure that my garden got watered and my cat, you know, litter boxes got cleaned and, and, you know, just those little things. Honestly, if I, (laughs) I truly feel like if there's nothing else that people take away from this discussion, um, I would love to plant this seed that for me, I never thought of myself as someone, or I never knew that there was a person, a kind of person who could just show up When someone experienced loss, just let themselves in your front door and take care of what needs to be done. And, and the fact that that happened to to me, like for me by my friends changed me. And I feel like I've looked for that opportunity every time I could find it ever since. And I think that opportunity exists. And we sometimes don't even know it exists to, to show up that much for people and to just do, just be. Um, what need and do what needs to be done, and and be what needs to be around that person. Um, so I, I offer that as something that even if you can't do much else, if you can just show up in the way that needs to that that you need to show up for somebody, that's huge, and that will help somebody overcome and surmount what they have to surmount. And and just thinking about these in terms of like shifts that help that lead to big change, like just showing up and watering someone's garden or cleaning someone's cat litter when they've experienced a big loss or they're going through something profound or challenging is going to help them get through something. It's going to help you too. You'll, you'll feel good that you made a difference in someone's life. So, um, yeah, that, that's been a really big thing for me as drawing upon that and, and feeling like I came away from that experience, you know, in some ways, like a little dented emotionally, but, but like stronger on the whole and, 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 um, a, a more, a more resilient person, and um, more grateful for life and for everything. So, yeah, I, I always appreciate too a, a chance to tell that story or talk about that in a in a relevant context. So I'm glad that you know you have this discussion uh, wow. format where we can have this conversation.
1: What a what a great way to close out because um, we where we started was in um, in human moments and how humanity needs to show up uh, for each other, yeah. Where does that all show up, whether it's within technology or within companies or just with, with ourselves. Yeah. And uh, I love that you just said that, like even just show up with each other. Um, and I love that. So thank you so, so much for going there and for sharing that with everybody. And for the one thing, if you just take that one thing away... Um, even now, just in this last year, there's different ways of showing up for each other. Right. And that's just so right. powerful. Yeah.
0: That's so true. Yeah. It, it's often easy to forget, I think, um, because, because we feel so isolated in our little cocoons <laughs> in, the, in the COVID situation. Uh, it's, I think it's easy to overlook the challenges that other people are having. Um, uh, because they're happening somewhere else, and you're cut off from them. But, um, but someone is out there that would really appreciate you making a call or uh, sending an email or something. And that's a reminder to me too. I'm I'm going to be <laughs> doing my rounds after I get off this this discussion. So, um, but thank you, Brian, for for this platform and for bringing the good into the world
1: that you do. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that we can get on and do this, um, and uh, we need to do more. Yeah, um, absolutely. I don't know what took us so long, but thank you. I'm glad we, I'm glad we made it happen, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to another another time with you. Me too. So, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes, and if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time.